Hey, great day. So before we get into today's podcast episode, I have a huge announcement. We are bringing back the Abundant CEO Private Practice Bootcamp. This is a three-day virtual party that I'm inviting all mental health therapists that either want a private practice in the next six to 12 months, or you already have had a private practice, maybe for the last year, five years, or even over a decade, but you want to understand wealth and cash flow in your company. You want to learn how to show up as a CEO and work more on your business versus in your business. Maybe you want to assess the health and the wealth of your current or future private practice to really see if you're on the right path to increasing your revenue, to growing your practice, maybe to streams of income later, or maybe even a group practice. Bottom line is you will walk away from this three-day bootcamp clarifying and understanding your niche, understanding how to show up as an abundant CEO, and most importantly, assessing the health of what you believe is a profitable private practice. So head down to the show notes and go to the link drtk.com forward slash links and sign up for the bootcamp. I'll see you there. Now let's head into the podcast episode. Welcome back to the Therapist Deserve Abundance podcast. We have a special guest on our podcast today. She is an alumni of the Dope Therapist Academy. She is a licensed and marriage and family therapist from Florida. So today we have Melissa, who has 15 years of experience working with couples, individuals, and groups. Her private practice, Heartfelt Counseling Center, focuses on interpersonal relationship concerns, where she provides individual counseling, couples counseling, and clinical training for therapists on these specific topics. Melissa has experience working in college career centers, focusing on work with young adults, where one of the top concerns are relationship issues. She started her career working in community mental health and nonprofit agencies, including domestic violence and sexual assault agencies, where she received training in identifying unhealthy and toxic dynamic relationships. So I am super excited for us to dive into this topic. I cannot wait. So without further ado, let's talk to Melissa. Welcome to the Branding for Abundance podcast. My name is Dr. TK. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and success coach. My goal on this podcast is to simply teach you how to proclaim your victory in your relationships, academic and career endeavors, business, money, and your mindset. Learn some simple tools and techniques to brand your life for abundance and live your epic lifestyle. Hey, welcome everyone to the Therapist Deserve Abundance podcast. I am your host, Dr. TK, licensed clinical psychologist and the number one therapist business coach. So in today's podcast episode, we are streaming live on YouTube and Facebook. This episode will be uploaded at a later time on the podcast, but I have a special guest. Her name is Melissa. She is a therapist and alumni from the Dope Therapist Academy, and she has some awesome things going on. And so before we bring her on the screen, um, as usual, if you are new to our community, welcome. If you are watching live, show us some love by heading over to the comment box and letting us know where you're tuning in from, what state. If you're a therapist, go ahead and rep your 
acronym. If you are a alumni or current student in our community, go ahead and rep those acronyms like DTA, TSA, ECM. We got so many letters, right? But I want to go ahead and jump into it. This is a live interview. If you are listening on the podcast, it will be uploaded probably one or two weeks later because I know that some people prefer to listen to the audio as well and then blast it and share it out. But I don't want to hesitate. I want to go ahead and bring on our guest. And then we will open it up for Q&A if you have questions where you can put certain things in the comment box and then we can bring you on the screen like your question. So we have Miss Bell. She said, hey, everybody. Okay. Hey, Miss Bell. We have DTA alumni and therapist scaling academy students in here, Angela. Okay. And then we have Deshay. She a DTT alumni. People don't even know what that is, right? It was our membership, uh, the Dope Therapist Tribe. And then she's also in the Dope Therapist Academy program. So let's go ahead and bring on Melissa. So hey, Melissa. Hey, Dr. TK. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm doing super, super, super. I'm doing well. Good. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself for the individuals that are on the live stream. Can you let them know uh, where you're located, your license type, and what are you currently doing in general? Because we'll get down to it in your business. Yes, for sure. So I am duly licensed in marriage and family therapy. Um, That's the LMFT at the bottom there. Um, I'm also licensed in mental health counseling as well. And I am based in Orlando, Florida. And I have a private practice where my specialty is um, relationships. So I do see individuals and couples, um, but primarily I see um, people who are struggling in their relationships and they just need some support. Yes. So yeah, a lot of people like, oh, we're going to talk about relationships. It was funny because the guy was like, is it only for women? I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I had to explain to him that opportunity. Specialty. I'm like, oh, okay, I gotta work on the sentence because it might have looked like a women power power minute movement, you know. <laughs> so, That's true. so let's go ahead and dive into a rich conversation. Every time I have a guest on, I always ask them one main question in the beginning because I always get a different journey, which I also learned something new about the students in our community. So, how did you get into the field of psychology? So good question. So actually, my first uh, career choice was to be an attorney. So I, when I was younger, yeah, when I was younger, I told my mom, I think I was in middle school or something, like, I want to be a lawyer, you know, kind of thing. Um, And I don't really know why I chose it. I think it also was part of it, just exposure, kind of the the things I knew about at that point. And that seemed interesting. Um, And so I went all the way through and did the pre-law stuff and everything. And then I ended up, you know, how in psychology, you have to do the uh, intro courses, right? So I took the intro to psych course, um, and it was an 8 a.m. class, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I lived off campus. <laughs> and that class was so interesting that I did not, I was never late. Like, I was, like, in the front row, like, learning um, about whatever they had to say, and it was just a basic, you know, psych course. And so as I think back, though, I think it was one of those things where I always was interested in, like, why people did the things that they did, and I, I'm just naturally a helper. And so although the legal field, you can help people, I feel like there's you know, a lot of things that go into that. <laughs> um, and so being a therapist felt more authentic in terms of being able to, you know, show more compassion without having the same, although we have ethics, but it's not the same, obviously, in the legal field. So that was really it. It just kind of opened the door. And then I'm when I learned things that I like, I just keep researching about it. I did a deep dive and I was like, oh, I could go all the way to do all these licenses and things and I could help people with therapy. Even before I knew exactly what therapy was, I was already like looking up what I can do with a psychology degree. Um, and like similar to a lot of college students, you change your major a few times. <laughs> 
And so right. pre-law at that point to psychology and on from there. Wow. That see, I learn something new every time. All these oh my gosh. <laughs> but the, I mean, our two fields do go together. Yes. We both have very strict ethical laws. But then we also have a certain capacity to be able to help people. But then, of course, our people have to help themselves yes. um, as well. So um, I have a similar background where I heard of psychology. I even picked it to be a major. But then I went over to pre-med and then I went back because I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> too much biology for me. And so went over to psychology. But same thing, that intro is very key to setting the tone for someone to me who either will go all in mm-hmm. for psychology and trust the process or fall back. Cause I had a really good professor that put me in to the point where I didn't want to miss class either. So I think that that's very interesting that we match in that way. Exactly. I was actually thinking about it, it's ironic because my first actually law, worked in a law firm through school, um, a couple of them. And my first law job was actually working for a divorce attorney. <laughs> And now I'm a marriage and family therapist. And so I always kind of go back around like, oh, I don't know. Like, I guess, you know, the universe works in funny ways. And so I always think about that funny story. Listen, it's always good to work. We're going to talk about couples, but it's always good to me to be educated on both ends of the process because I've had couples that come into my practice and they want a divorce. And I'm like, do you understand what that means? <laughs> do, you, do you understand the process, the paperwork, the kids? property. And they're like, no. And I'm like, we need to talk about that, you know, because that all boils down into like their emotional well-being. So you went through undergrad and then clearly you saw the path. So you went straight into grad school. What was your grad school experience with learning about mental health? Yeah, good question. So I actually majored in, I went to a mental health counseling program. So um, I was at Florida State. And so they, it was a really cool program because it was only 15 people in my cohort. Um, and that's, you know, kind of unique for master's level. Usually master's level have a few hundred depending on the university and that kind of thing. Um, and so I enjoyed it. And um, although I enjoyed the mental health aspect, which gives you a nice like broad overview, there was still a part of me that really wanted to learn more about relationships. I did an honors thesis when I was an undergrad on marital expectations and college students. So as I look back, there's just different points where I was still kind of going towards relationships. And so I just sought out well, how can I get a specialty in marriage and family so that way I can learn more about the systems perspective? So for those of you that are not therapists, um, you know, mental health is just an overall kind of mental health, you know, background, you learn all types of things about how to help people. But with marriage and family therapy, you learn more about the systems. And so like how relationships actually work with everybody included versus just here's an individual and let them tell you about what's going on. You know, it's like, well, if everyone's in the room, what would it look like? And that's really what I was searching for. And I was able to find that through that licensure for marriage and family therapy. Right. So let's let's go back to something because we do have a good amount of uh, clinicians that are pre-licensed and or students that tune in and just say, I'm going to follow you for five years until, you know, I'm done. And I'm like, you know, I, I love to have clinicians on here in which we can speak to those students. And so you brought something up where you had to make a decision to a degree because um, you can still work with you know different people later. But you had to make a decision or you chose to make a decision of doing MFT. Um, and looking at the systems, can you talk to maybe that pre-licensed therapist or student that may be contemplating on if they should choose a track or should they go general? Because I think that's always a question mark depending on the person. So what, like, what was that like? That's a great question. And I'm going to tell you who helped me with that, that question. My mama. <laughs> 
So I called her, I called her a lot of times in college, but one of the times I called her was about deciding on like what track or what specialty or not. And her perspective was do a general and they specialize later. Um, I wouldn't change it because um, I feel like it gave me the foundation of the mental health part. Not to say that marriage and family therapy doesn't have that, right? I think it's more about what each discipline focuses on, although we all get the breadth of everything. And so, for example, in mental health counseling, I didn't have any, I didn't have very many systems courses like family therapy or couples. Uh, we had one group course, which, you know, it's not the same as a family system, although you can kind of translate some of that over. Um, and so I liked the idea of having that because I think it gave me like a broader view and was, a, especially when I was starting off in my career to kind of get different um, options available. Um, and I think, uh, unfortunately, sometimes when people hear marriage and family therapy, they automatically assume that you just see families, which a lot of MF MFTs don't see families. Um, and so it's an interesting thing. So I think it's more about how do you want to learn about mental health? Like it's all mental health. Like do you want to learn about it more in individual system? And then you include like, you know, family history and those type of things, or do you want to learn about it in the system perspective off top? And then that way you kind of have it always kind of, you know, with you, so to speak. Um, and so for me, that was helpful to kind of have the general and then put in the specialty of the system, so to speak. Um, but you really can't go wrong either way. I think it's more about how do you want to learn about it? And then that may change how you use it, but that can definitely still help in terms of what's your interest level in learning about that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dang, you said something else that was interesting because <laughs> I'm just thinking about that. Well, well, actually now let's, let's go into like licensure because you know, you're in our community and we talk about marketing and how you show up online and you show up all the way online with videos and things. You know, <laughs> my thumbs up. <laughs> so, however, you said something about that people, when they see the license type, they automatically assume that you only see this group of people. And clearly that could be a marketing barrier for therapists who are listening to this episode, right? And so I just wanted to point that out, that sometimes you do have to recognize how people are not magnetizing to your practice. And it may not be that they're not your ideal client. It may be that you've done no marketing to educate them on what your licensure type is and then what services you actually offer. So I'm glad that you brought that up because, because we talk about it in our community all the time. We can list out all of these acronyms. A lot of us have a whole lot of acronyms linked to our name. It does not mean we should put them behind our name because it can actually do more harm than, <laughs> than good. Yeah. That kind of reminds me too, because I have a, so in my mental health counseling program, when I got my degree, it it's, uh, have a few more credits to it. So I got an additional degree. It's called an education specialist degree. So mm -hmm which is really only recognized in academia. So like when I go into the community and do practice, people are like, what's the EDS? What, what is that? <laughs> you know? yeah, every time I look at it, I have to remember, I'm like, do they have their doctorate or something? Like I, I get confused because I see like five acronyms and I'm like, just what makes you licensed? <laughs> like to, to yeah. do <laughs> and You're right. And I think if I don't explain that to people, they're not going to know. So a lot of times when I'm doing on my website and stuff, I have like everything because that's kind of like where you have all of your stuff. But when I'm doing certain like therapy directories, like I'm on the Boris Lawrence, um, uh, directly, so I don't put it certain places. I'm like, oh, people are not gonna really know. I don't think it matters to them. Um, but if I'm going into a setting where there is academic people there, or it's just my overall CV, curriculum vitae, I will put it. But if I'm trying to attract clients or people about therapy, then I don't really because it doesn't really matter. Yeah, they, they just won't know and they won't move forward because they might just get confused. Yes, exactly. So, well, let, let's talk about these clients. And so, what made you go into private practice? So when you graduated, got licensed, what made you say, you know what, I want to work on my own? 
Yeah, for sure. So um, like a lot of us, we don't necessarily jump into, although DTA is changing that, I think you're you're uh, ahead of the curve, but a lot of us don't jump into private practice after we graduate. We tend to work for agencies and stuff. So um, my first placement, I was working at a domestic violence sexual assault agency for a few years, got licensed. And then after that, I worked at a couple college counseling centers um, and seeing students there. And so um, as I was going through my trajectory of just, you know, kind of getting experience, getting licensed, getting specialized in different things, it was always something that I I always kind of imagined I would do. I just wasn't sure how it would work, especially because I enjoyed, you know, a lot of the work I was doing. Um, it, sometimes when you like a lot of things and you're good at a lot of things, it's kind of hard to know, okay, when is that going to change? Um, but I think as I have more experience and, um, you know, in agencies, sometimes you can only go so high. Like I've gotten promotions and been administrating different things. And so it was like, okay, what else is left kind of? Um, and so I decided to just get my feet wet five years ago and do it part-time. And so it worked well for a while. And then in the past six months to a year, I decided, okay, I'm going to just take the plunge um, and go full-time. And I think it was a good time for me because I feel like it allowed me to get the experience I needed in different capacities as an entry-level clinician all the way to an administrator. That way now I'm like a lot of the skills, shoot, even the law stuff, like a lot of the stuff is like coming back now now because right now it's just me like putting all the pieces together um to eventually grow it to something where I can have people with me so it is something that I think just kind of over time where I felt like you know I've, I've done a lot of the stuff already and I and I think it's time to kind of move forward and be more autonomous and be able to make the decisions for myself and so it felt like the right time in my family I got married had a son like a lot of things that kind of felt like life happened as well that eight to five clock and then clocking out was the entire yeah. <laughs> so when so because we've had different guests that talk about either they go in part-time or like you had mentioned they just plunge all in have faith but of course get things set up when you first started your practice were you seeing your ideal clients back then or did that evolve over time no <laughs> I was seeing whoever would see me you know you know how that goes when you first get in <laughs> you're like because at first you're like you're so used to employers giving you a check every so often every two weeks every month however much people get paid and so to kind of put yourself out there is a level of vulnerability I think as a as a clinician to kind of put yourself out there and be like okay the community or these individual or couples or whoever are willing to like pay me right so it's kind of like all right well whoever wants to pay me and I have the you know of course within ethical bounds of what I can actually see and treat and honestly I was trained as a generalist as well most of my career and so I had to actually take the initiative to get the specialty and get the LMFT. I did like a several months of consultation with my old director at a previous counseling center and just would go every week as if I was in, I had been licensed already like for years, but I decided like, okay, summers are slow in college. So he um, offered to con- you know cons- consult with me. And so I had a few couples in- at that time and I would go every week as if I'm a you know pre-licensed person and like go over notes, like really get the system that I had learned and put it into practice. So, so it wasn't until that point I was like, okay, I'm having some of that. So let me kind of gear it more towards um, kind of relationships and stuff like that. But I was still a little bit afraid of kind of like uh, branding myself in that way. Cause you have that fear of like, well, then I'm going to turn people away, you know, and that thing um so it is something that just started off general and as I got more confident and more experienced and even up to joining DTA you know there's different pieces that you feel like okay now I can put that label on myself um mm-hmm. it feels more comfortable as you get the experience yeah but so even the word generalist I'm like oh I know you're speaking to somebody it's always one person I feel like or more that'll resonate with something and resonating with being a generalist is really key especially because we just went through like a whole two-year situation <laughs> um, in which mental health is still at an all-time high but of course it was at its peak that I've ever seen in my life yeah. you know two years ago and I cannot stress enough to 
the clinician who maybe somebody will send, if you know therapists, especially if they're in school, please send this episode or these conversations to them if you're watching or listening. Because what Melissa said about a generalist, sometimes we go into grad school, we don't, we don't know any better. We just know what we want at the end, which is to do therapy, right? But we don't understand the layers of what it takes at the end outside of a license to get therapy. And if you're not careful, even with like selecting your track versus like I did general psychology, I chose general psych, not general psychology, but a uh, clinical psych. I chose that as my master's initially before going into the doctoral program, because when I talked to the professors who were doing the MFT, unfortunately, they didn't say what you said, like, oh yeah, you can see other people. They actually painted the picture only of the curriculum. They didn't paint the picture of what was going to happen later. So in my brain, which I'm happy, I chose the decision where I would go into the clinical psych program and then I would choose, the second part is really important, choose a program that has curriculum that will expose you to various methods of treatment. But then the third level is make sure that you can um, have support in selecting practicum sites to get that worth of experience beyond the curriculum. That way, when you do graduate and then you get licensed, you don't have to keep slowing down to speed up because that's what I feel like happens in business, let alone just to do the work. And what you just described is you have to stop, figure out what you were missing, slow down, go get supervision, and then come back and say, all right, I'm ready. You know, and we're, these conversations, I wanted to like cut out some of that path for some future therapists. No, I love it. I think it's like, it kind of reminds me of what I would tell um, even younger people, like people that say they're in high school, let's say, and they want to know what to major in, right? That's the first thing. What do you want to major in kind of thing? Uh, or when you have a major, what do you want to, what do you want your career to be? I always tell people, go volunteer. Like, even when you're that young, just go exposure to different things, because if not, you're going to feel overwhelmed, I think. And then when you pick something, you're going to feel like you have to commit to it, even though you really don't want to do it. And so I think the more exposure, the better. Um, and honestly, you know, most of our, even when you pick a major, they, they still train you as a generalist. They just give you the foundational things. They don't really teach you how to go out in the world and actually have a job or have a business or whatever. They just give you the, you know, the basics, not always translate to practical stuff so I remember that kind of makes me think when I first um, started working in college counseling like I was stalking my colleagues like because in college counseling relationship issues are like one of the top things but not that many couples come in because it's college so it's kind of transitional a lot of things are changing you know that kind of thing and so I would stalk my colleagues like if a couple comes in send them my way like I'm emailing people like every week I'm looking at people's intakes like who got a couple who got a couple like just send them to me you know and then people you know I luckily I had some colleagues who didn't care like oh yeah you can have them you know that kind of thing but there were so few and far in between that like I was really trying to like get as much of them as possible so you do have to kind of take that initiative I think as a young therapist or a therapist in training to like if there's things you are interested in go and find the experience whether it's talking to somebody volunteering interning when you get your first placement, see where, even if you don't have the cases, you know, who can you talk to who has a specialty in something that you may want to do one day? It's really kind of like putting yourself out there because honestly, the job market, I don't think any job market is really there to uh, help you become an expert in anything. You have to be the person to kind of take that step. And then people will be like, oh, you would like that? Okay, cool. I'll send it, I'll send it your way, you know, but if you don't speak up, people are not going to know when you've been seeing anybody. Well, it's interesting that you even say that because those are the same rules for business. Like, if you don't speak up, you get no clients. If you don't tell people who you want to see, you get no clients. If you don't talk to people and network, you get no opportunities. And so clearly that's why you're successful <laughs> in your practice. And that's why, you know, I usually say like, 
I feel like grad school put a label on what a lot of us were already doing and what we were already good at. And it helped us structure it in a way where we can be ethical and not do therapy with our friends and family. But truth be told, every time I teach a class or even have a, like a virtual party, I'll say, how many of you were doing this work before you got into the work? Let's be real. People just magnetically came to you. Mm-hmm. So now we're licensed. We got our stuff together. Who is your practice filled with now? Like, who is your ideal client? And can you tell the audience, like, how do you do the work with those clients? For sure. Yeah. So um, obviously you said the specialty is relationship concern as far as the clients themselves. Um, so it's a two way street. It is um, who I'm kind of marketing for, who I'm speaking to, I'll say it that way, um, in my materials and who I'm talking to as far as colleagues who would send my way and also people who just kind of see myself and find me and want to come to me. So mostly um, professionals, um, mostly people who identify as black, although I do have for example, interracial relationship clients as well. So one person may identify one race and one identifies black. Mostly people who are in relationships. So not necessarily people who are looking for, not to say that that's, you know, that's a valuable concern, but usually it's people who are already in a relationship and they're struggling um, and it's just trying to find a way. And they're committed and invested in some fashion. So it's not something where they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to be with that person, you know, kind of like a, not a casual dating kind of thing. It's people that are like really invested in their relation, relationships in one way or the other. And I try to just find a way to feel more satisfied in them, to be honest. And so, um, you know, before they throw in the towel, so to speak, a lot of times, like, well, let's go to therapy, you know? And I always tell my clients, I'm like, you can come whenever you want, you know? But like anything else, prevention is always better, <laughs> you know? Um, so oftentimes, like we all see, and you know, if you're a therapist, people come in distress. So they come in relationship distress at that point. Um, sometimes they come in as individuals. Sometimes they come as, as couples. And usually, an individual situation comes in where the other partner, um, their partner, may not be ready to to join. And so that partner who's calling is, so, is in so much distress that they're like, I can't wait for my partner. I need to talk to somebody about what's going on. Um, and then we kind of like started off that way. And I've had people ask me before, like, you can do relationship counseling with just one person. I'm like, yeah, you can do a lot. Yeah, to, to a degree, but you can do a whole lot. Yeah, exactly. So that's pretty much the the people who I'm, and it, and it's working because I think the people who I'm speaking to are also the people that are coming my way, which I appreciate as well. Uh, and I'll also speak a little bit to, um, and I think it's really important in terms of the Black community. I feel like in terms of talking about relationships, I think there's a lot of things in the media, uh, things that are expectations, you know, maybe from what we see online and things like that. And I think I really feel like I have a calling at this point to kind of speak to the fact that Black people can have healthy relationships and it doesn't necessarily have to look like how it looks on social media or on any type of platform. You can really have it look how you want. <laughs> but I think it's hard to kind of like, I might be jumping ahead to something later. No, 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 this is good. I was like, I really feel that way. <laughs> Uh, especially when you have professionals and I say that because as professionals sort of mindful of a professional right it's usually like maybe a high achiever someone who is a doer like they want everything to go well I mean everyone wants their life to go well but they really like put themselves out there they're, they're like always like that person to like make sure everything goes well sometimes they might be considered a perfectionist maybe you know has maybe some anxiety or worries a lot um, and they translate that to their relationships. And so obviously in a relationship, you got two people or more if you're polyamorous. Um, and so in, in that case, you, you can't do the work with other person, you know, kind of thing. And I think that's the unique thing. I think that professionals who are in committed relationships face when they're in distress that I tend to see. Um, it's not usually people that are like so laid back. Well, if someone's so laid back, they're probably not calling for counseling anyway. If they're like, you know, kind of hands up, you know, 
speed up. Um, but if they're at the point, usually they're the people like, I got to fix this relationship, you know, kind of thing. And so when I think about the, the identity of a, you know, say black person or woman professional who's in a relationship and who feels like it's not going well, but they feel like they're doing everything that they can and nothing is working, that can feel pretty helpless and hopeless. Um, and I think it's one of those things that I just feel a calling to kind of like help with. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be roses and sunshines, um, but it doesn't have to feel so defeating. And I think when you're doing so well in one area of your life and in the other area feels, you know, it's kind of like being a mom, like I'm a mom, right? So it's like, yeah, I can be doing well in this. And then like my son throws a tantrum, I'm like, oh, this is like, how do I make it stop, you know? And so it feels like you just want to translate those skills to other areas, but then you have a whole other person, even if it's a two-year-old, <laughs> you know, right. thing where they have their own personality and then you can't just fix it even though you want it to go well. And so I think that's the part that I'm yeah. really called to talk on. Right. So I wanted to speak to that because I, I did a lot of work with couples. And one thing that will come up often is that I will get more of an individual, sometimes the men, but majority women, that would come in and then during the consultation process, they would let me know, you know, or at least I would hear, they may not say, their ultimate goal in treatment is to have a healthier relationship. And so I know that I started, after I started recognizing that was a pattern during the intake, when they finally came into my office, I started having conversations during the consult about the limitation, but that we can do work. But that, that I used to say, at one point, we're going to run into a brick wall. I just want to be very candid and clear. And they would say, well, what do you mean by that? And this is how I started developing my framework for couples. It's like, okay, this is part of my speech then. They don't even need to ask me no questions, which is at one point in treatment, we're going to hit a brick wall. And what that means is we're going, there needs to be a conversation with the other party. Because as you mentioned, even with trying to control a temper tantrum, you can't get into your child's head. You can't get into your partner's head. You can't make the decisions for them as much as you would like. And so if they're not open to recognizing that it's a problem, if there even really is a problem, because I only hear one side, which is already a red flag. Not, and, and they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Am I a red flag? I'm like, you're not a red flag. I'm just like, you, you just look at, you know, I use my humor. Like, you know, there's two sides, three sides of the story, your side, they side, and the truth side. And depending on what you put on social media, maybe a fourth side, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you make it, make it a journal. And so, you know, I let them know that up front. And it's, it's pretty interesting to see how things have unfolded over time for some of those couples, because I've then had some people that the other person is okay with coming to see me because I can have a non-bias. However, I'm going to speak to therapists for a yes. second. If you do have a bias, yeah. if you do feel like you feel a certain type of way, because you're human, if you feel a certain type of way about bringing in the other person to maybe see things from their perspective, even if it's a one-time thing, don't do it. Because your mannerisms will show on your face like, Ugh, you know, she told me about you last week. So just be really mindful of that because, yeah, the ultimate goal is to have people have healthy communication, overall healthy relationships. But sometimes you don't have to be the therapist to do all the things, especially if you started it off individually. So how do you and your practice handle when it gets to the point where you see individuals done? I, we, y'all even need to go see a couples therapist. Like, how does that come up for your client? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Usually, uh, even when I get the consultation, I'll have people call and um, sometimes ask about both because they don't know if the other partner is going to work 
come or whatever. And I've had people say like, I don't know if I want them to be there because I want they want to talk, you know. Um, and so sometimes what will happen is if they do decide to join uh, to come in as individuals, I do tell them off top because every therapist has their own kind of like I mean there's a general ethics, but as therapists you also have a choice or range in what you're comfortable doing. Um, and so usually I'll tell them like if they decide to see me individually. I tend to not choose to see the other person because at that point I've already established a relationship with them. And it's not so much because you make a good point because yes, for human as therapists, we could have a bias. But even if I were like feeling like super comfortable, like, okay, I don't think I have a bias. I'm, I usually think about what is the other person that's coming in to the thing. That is a conversation that I have them have before. How do you laugh or joke with the one you've been seeing? And they go be like, what y'all laughing about? You know, like, what's so funny over there? You know, kind of thing. And, and maybe it was a you know, not a bias per se, but an alignment, even if it was a joke, right? And then they can kind of take it as being like as an outsider. So I usually kind of say, I have had it before where I've had couples and then they either split or decided they're done and then I see the individual. And then I always say, well, you probably won't be able to go back as, as a couple. So I kind of like make that rule as far as changing modalities that I will change it um, as far as couple going to individual, but not necessarily individual going to couple, just again, more so for what the other person coming in is going to feel like. But I explain all that to them in the beginning and I just make them like, let them make a choice. Um, there was, uh, there are sometimes I should say where I kind of give a recommendation, which I don't really do too, too much. Um, but if I hear something going on in the consultation where I feel like maybe there's a safety issue, like physical safety, like abuse or even emotional abuse or something where I feel like, you know, um, it's probably wise for you. One, I might have a bias because at that point I'm like, I don't know, uh, kind of about the situation but I might say hey it sounds like you may be, or I might ask them outright do you feel like there's abuse going on or anything like that and I might say you know you, you may want to be cautious around seeking out couples counseling I said I'm, I'm probably not the couples counselor for you because that's kind of goes against my personal kind of ethics in terms of that if, if I even think that's going on um but then I will give them a referral to someone to have them sit down and have that full assessment that doesn't know anything because they're a blank slate um but if I'm hearing it from the individual side that something's kind of uh, I'm not sure then I might make the recommendation of like I'll see you individually if you want but I think I'll refer you out to a couple so it has to be something where it feels like pretty distressing maybe some possible emotional abuse or something going on um or if I feel like yeah I think you probably need some like individual time to process what you're saying before you bring it in front of your partner because it seems like you're not fully at that point to feel safe to do that or feel comfortable to do that or whatever the case is. So there are some few times I kind of give that, but that's it has to be pretty clear on the on the consultation and that's what's going on, you know? You know, I, I definitely like, and I'm sure that partners, if they hear this, they're definitely liking when therapists, we say out loud, that we consider the third party because that's very much what they are. And so as therapists, just to kind of piggyback on what you were saying, be very clear about what the role is of the third party if you do invite them in. Meaning, is it a one-time thing where you just want to hear their side? Because I've had that happen where I'm talking to the client way too, like not way too much, but we meet one-on-one. And I'm like, okay, we've met each other for like six months, eight months. And I continue to hear all of these not so great things sometimes about your partner. And it's just, you know, I can't even speak to what you're saying, because that person is not here. So like, how effective are we really being in treatment if that person isn't able to even just shed light on how they see you? And so I can say that anytime that I've brought in the partner just to tell me their side of the story without the other partner in the room, meaning we have to have an agreement, like you cannot be in here with us, whatever. And this is, again, all therapists make up their own rules because some therapists start off and say, However I start is how I'm finishing. So if I start off with a couple, there is no confidentiality. Mm-hmm. Just make sure that you document what your rules are. And my rules are, and they're verbally stated, if I talk, if you let me talk to your partner and you tell them to come in, 
whatever they tell me, I'm not telling you. <laughs> like it's called confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And they're going to sign a waiver just for me to talk that day, like a consent form. Yes. But I'm not going to bring it into our session next week so you can get a transcript from me. Yes. So be mindful of what you're signing up for. But again, if you want me to just see the person, not to diagnose them, mm-hmm. just to see what the story is so that I can also better help you understand them. Because that's another reason why I bring them in. Yes. Uh, 10 out of 10 times, it's been such a wonderful thing where the third party partner says, dang, you know, if this was what therapy was like, find me a therapist. You know what I'm saying? So yes. what I'm also sharing with therapists is make sure that you network because what uh, Melissa and I are talking about is that at times you clearly will have a boundary or based off how your practice is set up, you will not or cannot or choose not to see the other partner even outside of an intro. So do you have something set up where you can say, you know what, I have a Rolodex full of virtually um, some therapists that I know that work well with men, that work well with women, that can work with you individually. And then I also have another therapist that maybe we can refer both of you to to go see couples because you know, like you, you explain that to them. But this is why you have a network and just don't think that you have to wear that. I always say, don't wear the cape and feel like you have to do all of it because that could actually be dangerous clinically at times, not physically, emotionally. Yes. And I, I want to speak to a couple of things you're saying because what, what we're talking about, Dr. TK, is, is the system, right? So I should have, I could have used that earlier. But yeah, the system. So like you and your individual person who comes in who uh, hasn't had a couple session yet with you, you are creating a therapeutic system. It's you and that person. But that person has a partner who has a relationship system who hasn't been in treatment yet. So what me and Dr. TK are talking about is that there's different therapists have different um, rules within their practice, within the bounds of ethics. Um, and so when you have a part, uh, individual comes in and they, like Dr. TK says, have they come in for one or two sessions, that's called a collateral client. That other partner is not your true client. And so that's why she was saying, you know, you can't be speaking about different things depending on your rules and ethics and, and who's your true client kind of thing versus having them both come in as the identified client which is the couple themselves. And so it's a really, this is why it's so fascinating to me, Dr. TK. It's like, it's like a puzzle every time, you know? Yes. This person called you first. I had one time, I had to say a story, my mind is ping-ponging, where they wrapped up couples and they were deciding to separate and they both wanted to see me individually. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, I, I mean, I'm flattered. <laughs> But I can't ethically, I mean, even my brain, like I'm, I'm, I'm an expert. I think I'm pretty good, but like having to deal with all that separately and not misspeak to, oh, I was like, no, y'all both got to get referred out. <laughs> In the video. Yeah, I'm going to put this on the screen just so that people can see it. Yeah. I don't want everyone, I'm picking one over the other. I was like, it's like having kids. I'm like, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings of who I'm picking to meet with. Let's just, <laughs> and if you want to come yes. back to the couple, you can, but I'll just refer you out. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted people to see that like in summary, because I know, you know, people can listen to the conversation. But I wanted to like post that takeaway from that section. Let me put it back up again. I have a typo. Like know who, um, based off uh, Melissa's summary, know who your true, you know, identified client or patient is, whatever language you choose. But we say the IP is the identified patient, the couple, because then you may need to keep seeing them clearly as a couple. If you feel like you can't see them as a couple because there's too much baggage, then you have to make a decision about how you want to move in your business. Do you want one to go to Melissa and one to go to me and you just wait till they done and then come back to you for couples? Or do you want to, like I used to let my clients choose, like who want to see me for one-on-one and who want to see Dr. Millie up up the hall because she and my group practice, you know? 
But nevertheless, it should be a collaboration. And I'm saying this also for clients. Sometimes you anticipate that you're going in for one thing. And then after having a clinical consultation or in-depth intake, um, usually the outcome may not be what you initially thought. And so just be open to the clinician's recommendations because that's why you went to them in the first place is the, the expert, right? Yes, yes. So we've, we've talked about systems. We talked about your ideal client. Um, let's now speak to the therapist out there that's watching like, all right, let's talk about business. And so you mentioned that you were part of DTA. How do you run your business? Like how many hours do you work per week? What's like a caseload to you? What's a full caseload? Yeah, that's a good question. So a full caseload to me. So this is the thing also about couples and you see couples and individuals. So for me as a therapist, I give more time to some not all therapists do this, so it depends. But for me as a couples therapist, I give more time to the couple because I want to be able to build a relationship with both, see the system, you know, all this thing we just talked about. And so I don't feel like I can do it effectively in 45, 50 minutes. And so I just like double the time. So 75 to 90, depending on if it's an intake versus ongoing. Um, so that will impact what, you know, because you're giving more time to one, so it takes some of your slots, so like a slot and a half, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, and so depending on what the mix looks like, as far as individual and couples, you can go anywhere between 11 to 15 is like my max. Um, if I were seeing all individuals would be 15, all couples would 11, but any type of mix and match depends on, on that. So I try not to go past 15 hours a week is like the max I would do as far as hours, but the split as far as appointments may look different because there's more time given to couples and, and individuals. So Yeah. How do, um, like, I want to speak to therapists because we talk a lot about marketing. So how have you, and, and tell us the journey, uh, how have you shown up online to attract your ideal clients? Because couples is a specific niche as well as professional individuals, but how have you been able to show up online mm -hmm. over the last few years? Yeah, for sure. Um, so part of the thing I've been doing a lot lately is doing a lot of social media. I've um, been doing a lot of IG videos. Um, I do kind of pre-recorded videos as well as, you know, on the spot reels and stuff. And so really I speak to relationship topics and tips and I keep it um, general enough where anybody can get information, but I'm still speaking to the client as far as the type of things they may be dealing with. So if I'm imagining a professional individual who's in a relationship, who feel like they're overworking, they feel anxious about what's going on, then I'm going to be speaking to those topics. That way, when they hear it, they they know it's them. But I may not necessarily be saying, hey, professional anxious person who's in a relationship. You know, I may not say it like that. Um, but I'm going to speak to the what they may call their um, the distress points. Like, what is what is the things that's bothering them? Um, and so, and I do notice the more videos I do, the more kind of engagement I get versus if I do posts. So I try to do more videos um, than posts lately. And I also have um, been working on my Google SEO, which is basically how to optimize your website on, on Google, which is, it's not difficult, but there's a lot of little steps to it. And it takes months for it to kind of catch up. So you want to kind of be on top of it. Um, and then also I'm on some therapist directories. I'm on Therapy for Black Girls, I'm on Boris Lawrence Henson um, Foundation. And on all of those platforms, I speak in, in my website, of course, all the different uh, distress points, how I can help them, my framework, um, all those things that when they see it, they can see like, oh, okay, she understands, you know, what I'm going through and I kind of get a sense of how she can help me. And then home consultation, I, you know, kind of knock it out the park usually uh, with my framework that I was able to develop uh, through DTA, which is exciting. And so uh, it's something that I think people tend to appreciate because they, they don't feel like they have to guess. I think what I'm sensing from, I'm getting from the feedback is that regardless of where they see my stuff, whether it's like on the directory, on social media, on my website, or even my, the phone calls with me, 
it matches, right? It's like, oh, okay, yeah, she's, she keeps saying this, so, so it must be a thing, you know? Uh, and when they're able to talk to me, they're like, okay, they can, you know, get the personal side that they usually see on the videos, for example, right? So so that way they can, you know, kind of warm them up, hopefully by the time they're talking to me over the phone, that they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, you know? And they usually say like, I loved your website, or I found you on here, or I heard good things. You know, you, they usually come in with something, which tells me like, okay, good, like, so I'm putting out. <laughs> Not only am I getting who I want to get, but they're also giving me feedback that I didn't even really ask for. Um, they're just kind of offering that which is amazing. And therapists, you need to take all that feedback. I'm just going to go ahead and be that business coach right now Uh, because what she's speaking to is understanding one, where her ideal clients hang out at, understanding that clients have a journey as well. So when she spoke about consistency, I think that therapists know that consistency is important. I just don't know if enough of them take the time out to make sure that their information is consistent and paying attention to when clients tell you where they found you you need to be documenting that because if you're spending your money <laughs> on platforms as well, where are the bulk of your clients coming from? Not just clients in general that are not even a match. You need to take note of that. Is Are there platforms that are sending you the wrong type of clients? And if that's the case, do you need to go update your profile? Because maybe you're speaking to the client that you don't want to see. So messaging is key, not just a pretty picture or a, a dancing video. <laughs> like, speak. Yeah. And I was going to add something too. So even as a, like, so yes, all this stuff, 100%. And the other piece I noticed too is also some mindset shifts too, Dr. TK. I know you love that word, mindset shifts. You get more confident, like, because, you know, the whole general, generalist word we used earlier, I, I think when you move through to a specialty, sometimes that can be anxiety provoking because you're like, oh, you know, am I really an expert? You have the imposter syndrome thing going on. You have all that stuff going on. Um, but you have the skills, just a matter of kind of being able to kind of put yourself out there to let people know about it. And I think the more you speak to, which is really what we're talking about is your brand, essentially, like all these components is what makes up your brand. And so as you're kind of putting that information out there consistently, um, and it's, you know, pretty much similar across the board and no one has to like, be like, oh, she got this going on over here and that going on over there. And it's just, they're, they're confused. You know, um, if your clients are confused, you're probably confused, <laughs> you know, a little bit. Um, not that you can't have more than one specialty. Um, but at the same time, if you're not, um, kind of nurturing a specialty or nurturing your messaging about the specialty or more than one, then when you do get the phone consultations, you're going to be a little bit more flustered, I feel like. Um, and I, and I can, even though like, for example, when I was a generalist in my power practice and I just saw, you know, you, you kind of do the phone consultation that you, you would do like at work, right? So you're like, you do a risk assessment. You're like, what are your symptoms? It's almost like you do a little bit of a mini intake over the phone, which for me, I don't, at this point, I feel like I don't need to do all that. I just got to know like the basics. Um, but you kind of do a little bit too much work as a journalist when you first get the phone call because you're used to doing the agency type questions. Um, and so that may feel comfortable, but it can also be overwhelming as, as well. So once you get to the point of getting past that anxiety, you, you get all your messaging, then you get more confident when you're speaking to potential clients, to colleagues, if you want to do anything past the clients, like other engagements and things like that, you feel more confident too. So this is something I will definitely share with all the therapists as well. It's, it's for the community because you, whoever's seen your stuff, but it's also for you because you want to show up as being as confident as possible and know what you're talking about. Even though we know you know it, but if you're flustered and unsure, then it's going to be hard to feel comfortable and confident when you're give, giving the message, you know, yeah. so I, I speak to that. Yeah, I mean, that's good because, I mean, we're talking about an area where the therapist community and a lot of business owners that jumped into a business sometimes, you know, is it's, it's, we lack it. We lack the knowledge. We lack the information. We try to figure it out on our own. We try to mimic other people that don't match our style. And we can go on and on for hours about that. Um, but at the end of the day, it really starts with, are you passionate about what you do? Are you passionate about who you serve? This is not a agency. This is your agency, though. 
and you get to choose, you get to, everybody hear that, you get to choose who you want to see, which means that you create the structure and the systems for your practice. So stop making it look like the job that you ran away from. <laughs> like that, that don't match. So one question, and let me know your thoughts about this question. It just popped up yeah. because we do live in an age where if we're talking about professional women, mm-hmm. right? I've lived through some singleness, you know, for four years in between two big, re- my current marriage and past relationship. Right. And I remember at one point living in LA, I told myself, I ain't date nobody in LA. One, because I knew a whole lot of people just from being involved in sports and stuff like that. But it's just like, I just wanted to tap out into other things. So I'm thinking about a couple, like, not that I know a couple, I'm just making up this couple, right? I'm thinking about the couple that has a long distance relationship and then they run into problems because I ain't never heard a therapist platform talk about this. What if somebody calls you and there needs to be couples therapy, but the other person physically, not in the army, not going away for work, they literally do not live in the state that you're licensed in, like, Speak to those therapists. What do we do? <laughs> yeah, that's a great, great question. Especially now for things are virtual. I feel like before there's so much virtual, it just, well, you just didn't get therapy, you know? But now that we have technology and we're using it more, I think there's so much more uh, options, you know, so to speak. And so for me, I live in Florida. So, you know, first of all, therapists know this and the community, you'll learn this if you don't. But I'm saying it because a lot of clients don't know it. Yes, I was going to say that. So <laughs> uh, the therapist should be licensed in the place that the client lives. That's, that's my understanding of it. So for me... Um, I live in Florida and Florida is pretty big. So honestly, kind of similar to, well, not as big as California, but similar to, you can have a long distance in some big states too. You like, you know, kind of thing. So I would say first off, if it's long distance in terms of a different state, then the therapist ideally would be licensed in both states, right? Just to kind of cover their bases and know the laws and rules of that state. Um, and so, but if the therapist is not licensed in both states, then they wouldn't be able to see that where each client is living, so to speak. So that's an ethical, legal thing. Um, but if you live in a pretty big state where like three or four hours away and that still feels pretty long uh, then you can essentially see the couple um, long distance so to speak even if it's a few hour drive uh, when it comes to something like that I think the challenge so right now none of my couples are long distance um, in Florida they're all you know, either living together or live in the same city so when we have our sessions they're in the same screen uh, so to speak and so although you know telehealth and virtual counseling has shown to be effective and I feel like it's effective it's, it's great um, it, I do think there is a benefit to having both of the couple in the system in the same physical location because there's even some interventions I do that require physical you know like you know give each other a hug like wrap up with a hold each other's hand like just something to build that uh, emotional connection through physical touch so to speak that you can't really do over um, virtual and so I think there is you know like everything else you, you gain some and you lose some depending on kind of what modality that you're using so I think if they're different states you have to be licensed if you're in the same state but long distance um, then I think it still can happen. You just know that you're going to be losing maybe some components too. Um, and maybe that's the reason the problem they're having is that their long distance is creating the problem. So you may have to be creative about like how they can, even if it's not during the session, but like when can they spend time together to work on some of the things. And some of the stuff I ask them to do in the same session requires them to be together physically. And so if they can't do that, then what are some of the things that they can do to kind of offset that? Is there a schedule? Are there things they can do virtually that can still like, are they going to sit down and have, like I've had couples or I've seen this actually not have had, but I've seen this on a movie. I thought that's interesting. I mean, think of it where they actually have dinner on the screen with the plate there. And they're like, yeah, I was like, oh, that's creative. If I ever have a couple, I will probably incorporate something like that um, where they can still have, I guess that quality time and engagement and that kind of emotional mm-hmm. connection that can be 
an issue if you're physically apart, kind of figuring mm-hmm. out how to do that, um, you know, in a long distance situation. Because especially in my case, I work in, I work through, with the emotion focused therapy, which is a lot of emotions to work. And so we know that it feels different, you know, using technology than not. It doesn't mean it's impossible, but then you have to be creative on how you do that because the relationship, you know, needs that, that nurturing, so to speak, and the distance can create some issues with it. Oh, one more question, like just before we go into like wrapping up and talking about what, what's going on with you now beyond private practice is, you know, I got to speak to my men because sometimes when we talk about uh, relationships and if it's two women talking about it, it may appear as biased because we may say she, her, you yeah. know, the women, but we're talking to men too, yeah. especially when it has to do with healthy relationships. So yeah, the question I'm going to ask you is for men and women, but I've had more men ask me this question. Um, through their partner or just friends and family. Mm-hmm. What does, and I know that every therapist will be different, but what is your intake look like for a, um, you know, heterosexual re- uh, relationship couple? Like what, what can they anticipate on that first session? Yeah, no, I love this question. Honestly, I'm glad you said that. Cause I think you kind of spoke to a little bit earlier to Dr. TK that usually just, and, and this is in general, not just for couples, you know, men are just underserved in, in the mental health community and especially black men. So that's just something that we have to deal with and kind of do more work around that. So even though I do have the women, like you say, we typically call, I do have some men call, but mostly it's women. And if the partner does decide to come to show up, I will say, even though there's a stigma, the men I've worked with are invested. So I haven't had, you know, there is, of course, there's some work around like getting comfortable. That's just, that's normal. But, but is there, so I want to break that stigma too, for people who think that, men don't want to go to counseling or something like that. I think they're hesitant, you know, they may be resistant, hesitant, you know, not sure. But at least in my experience, like once the, by the time they get there and they get warmed up, they tend to do a, a great work. Sometimes, you know, there's some who's there kind of like doing a lot more and the woman's like, I'm, I'm tired today. Like, oh, that's, that's all my couples. Majority, like I'm going to say 75 to 80% of my couples, even if the man was hesitant on the second session, yeah. I was like, who are you? Exactly. And, and, and even with my work doing, and I'm going to answer your question about the intake. <laughs> um, but even with my approach using emotion focus, well, I used to print my own framework, but I use that for my model. Even with that, again, there's a stigma around like men and emotions and that kind of thing. But I've had men say they feel free. Like they feel like open. They feel like they can finally talk about stuff with their partner um, and that there's things they hadn't even thought about before. So I think it's one of those things. I'm so happy you brought it up because I feel like it's one of those things that we don't talk about enough, honestly. And I think um, part of the reason why my ideal client is a professional, professionals, but professional women in particular, I think is because I know that that's how I'm going to get the men in, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Because um, more likely than women are going to call and then bring their partners. So whether they come on their own or with their heterosexual uh, relationship male partner come in, we're still getting them in, right? So that's kind of like how I see it and still speak to that. Um, in terms of the intakes, kind of how I do it is um, I do have 90 minutes and I do see my couples individually for 20, 25 minutes each. Um, so I do that to be, and I, and I will say for the therapists in the room, if you want to see couples or you're seeing them, it's okay to change up how you do things as long as you do it within ethics and stuff like that and let your clients know. Because you you may try some things in the beginning and then you grow into something else. So I've tried all different types of ways, but this is what I've landed on and it works well for me is I see my clients individually for the first 20, 25 minutes. Um, and I really just build that rapport with just them. Um, I, even with my intake paperwork, I have a lot of individual um, mental health history and a couple's, right? So basically the way I see it is like the individual one talks about their mental health history, their own family history, blah, blah, blah. Their couples talks about their relationship. Like what are your concerns, rating scales on different issues you're having, you know, that kind of thing. And then I kind of, I pull it up on the screen. I mean, they don't see it, but I'm speaking to them about what I see and I get just get their perspective. And there's a lot of things that come out individually that they don't share or haven't shared with their partner that, and I, I do a, 
I hate to call it no secrets, but I kind of tell them like my purpose is not to hold your secrets for you, but that whatever you talk about will eventually probably be brought up in one way or other. Would I encourage you to say it or it's brought up in general? Because um, the, the idea is not to grow individual relationships to see them as an individual, it's to be able to bring it back to the system. And so that third part of the intake is basically me bringing them back together. So if it's virtually because they're at home, I usually ask them to like, it's about the room, close the door, make sure no one's around. You know, you kind of pan the room sometimes, you know, kids, everybody's away, uh, make sure they can't hear, headphones, you know, whatever they have to do um, to get it private. And so they'll kind of speak to that point. Then at the end, the last kind of 20, 25 minutes, I kind of like give them some feedback on um, what I was able to gather from the individual time. And so my goal and my hope is, my hope, this always happened. And my goal is that they have the same daggone goals. Because uh, sometimes when the goals are different, <laughs> that, that, you know, sets another challenge because it's like, okay, not that we can't work on multiple goals, but at the same time, if you're not on the same page with one or more of them, then how are we going to kind of like rectify the situation? So I just speak to, okay, in general, you know, you all are on the same page about your goals or it seems like you guys have different goals. And I kind of offer them first to speak to it. So that way they can kind of like Give their, get their platform out to share what they want to share. Um, and then ultimately, we kind of talk through a treatment plan of like, okay, what are the things you decided on? How do you want to do that? Um, I, I'm from phone consultation through that point, I'm, I'm very upfront about my framework, about like how I work. Are they comfortable enough with the idea about talking about emotions? Because some people, are like, I just want, just give me what I got to do and skills and tips and tricks. Homework. <laughs> yeah, communication skills. People always say I communicate. That's for therapists and, you know, even for clients who are listening. That's the number one thing people report, I think, in my experience, is like communication. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, um, what is it? Conflict. Conflict is the other two things people talk about. But I always notice that a lot of it has to do with how they're feeling, and that's navigating how they're interacting with each other. So, um, mm -hmm. so at that point, we talk about, okay, in the framework that I shared with you, you know, what are the goals you have? How can we work towards them? We kind of like work through it in that sense. And usually, I like to keep my goals with them at one or two. Uh, we mm -hmm. have three, four, five. We'll make a mental note, uh, but we'll come back to it later just to not overwhelm them. Because essentially, you know, you'll probably once you work on the core stuff, everything else will fall into place. Um, that's what I've right. learned, and so that's been a lot easier. Especially with a system, there's so much components. As a therapist, mm -hmm. you don't want to be overwhelmed. You definitely don't want your clients to be overwhelmed. So it's kind of like let's keep it simple and like keep, you know keep it something you can that's doable for you, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, the key word I'm taking from that that I hope other people hear is collaboration. That is really important to. Um, because now you got three parties involved is that, you know, usually when it's one-on-one, -on -one, you have the collaborative effort of creating the treatment plan with the client and figuring out where they want to go in their journey so that you can craft out a special program for them. But then when you have three people, you have to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And so I'm glad that you walked people through what couples looks like, even for professionals and therapists that are on here, because sometimes again, the stigma comes up for mental health because we just don't know what it does look like. I think that um, TV has done a better, not great job of showing individual therapy yeah. um, or even on some of these reality shows, you know, they dice up those sessions. So you don't even see the session, but at least you see that there's a conversation and that sometimes it can be comfortable and uncomfortable, yeah. you know, at times, but I don't see a lot of them showing couples. And so that's why I wanted to speak to that because people will stay out of the couple's room just because they have a myth about couples therapy breaking them up, you know? Yeah. So let's pivot uh, before we wrap up. Can you talk to the audience about other things um, that you're doing outside of the mental health field and then also how they would be able to find you to learn more? Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, other than my private practice, we talk about C 
clients um, through there. I am actually excited because I have a training coming up on Monday, this Monday, the 16th at 6 p.m. I collaborated uh, one of our tasks through DTA. I collaborated with a colleague of mine. Um, we have each other for years since we started as therapists um, and we're doing a CE. So I'm presenting and she's collaborating and providing the CEs. Um, and so we're going to be doing couples counseling. So if anyone, if you're a therapist in training or life's pre-life, or even someone who just wants to learn more about it, I've definitely crafted the presentation to be or CE event to be something on um, any type of therapist can listen to it. So it's not just like, well, you want to specialize in couples, so you have to listen to this. It's like, because the way I see it, you know, relationships impact our mental health. That's like my kind of like my one of my thoughts I have about it. And I feel like if we can kind of get a handle on some of that, doesn't mean that's everything that happens in our life, but some of it, then it can do a lot of good work. So whether you're having people come in as individuals with relationship issues or couples, and whether you want to specialize in it or not, there's still some components I think everybody should know. Um, even down to like, let's say you're somebody who doesn't even really want to see couples, but you have clients coming in who have relationship issues or it comes up through other issues, but you're thinking like, should I refer them to couples counseling? You know, and if you don't know much about it, then it's going to be hard to refer, right? So like, how can you do appropriate referral if you don't know much about it, right? So there's a lot of things I'm going to go over in terms of what's an appropriate thing to, appropriate referrals and what to consider. Because you don't want to like guide your clients towards something that could be harmful, right? Or hurtful. And there are things, there are, you know, things in the literature that talks about what can be harmful in couples. So we want to be mindful of that. And I think it's one of those things that, I feel like couples, I don't know how, I would love to hear what you think about Dr. K, but I feel like it's one of those things where people either love it or hate it. Like, I haven't had too many people in the middle. Oh, <laughs> like, like, you see, I'm laughing. <laughs> so so I, I definitely have heard um, that people have had a love-hate relationship actually with two populations, teenagers and couples. Uh-huh. Like, it's like, I'm not doing it. It's like, no gray. And one thing I'll just say to that briefly is, you know, I had a group practice. I had one of the clinicians in there that pretty much grew up in a group practice from postdoc to license to becoming my super clinical supervisor for other interns. And it got to the point where I had too many couples where I could not see them. Like it was impossible because I also had a specialty with teens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I asked her, do you want to see some of the couples? Um, and she was like, no, but it wasn't, I would say read body language, even which appears. Cause I was like, is it, is it, is it that you don't want to see them or is it something else? And she was like, I just don't want to see them, but she didn't say it like it was black or white. And so what I read as another psychologist talking to another psychologist is I was like, well, why, you know, like, like just straight up, like, what is it about couples that you don't want to see them? You know, and she was like, she didn't want to say it. And so I said it for her. Also, we have built a relationship as friends. So I said, are you scared of couples? You know, I'm, I'm straightforward, you know, and she started laughing and I'm like, no, be real. Ain't nobody else in here. Like, are you scared about what's about to go down in that room? And she was like, low key, you know, she was like, I don't know if I'm able to handle them. And I'm like, but you handle teenagers like low key cursing out their parents, like in the room with you, you know, that's still to me a relational therapeutic thing. Yeah. And so she just, so I said, have you ever had any training? So we had that quick conversation and it basically wound down to her end up, she had to learn my framework from my book Mm -hmm. that I had to teach her. And I trained her on it, even though she was licensed. I said, you know, I want to talk to you this amount of times before you see your first couple. Um, If you tell me the green light, I'm going to give you a couple. And she had her first couple. It was two women. And I think that that was great because it's like the dynamics between two women, you know, a little different in terms of sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> now we talk say sometimes because I'm are aggressive, but it, to me, she had the best couple for her first time um, because wow. they were very on board for couples counseling. They, nobody was dragged in per se. Yeah. And I had her check in with me after. And guess what? 
after about the second session, she was like, I love couples. And I'm like, hmm. So I'm challenging therapists who say that about any population. Don't knock on something until you try it. I ain't saying go out and just prematurely do stuff though. Cause like how we were set up, I was able to help her navigate through that through clinical supervision. So that means you need to link up with another therapist or a supervisor, even if you are licensed or go to workshops or go to CE workshops, even if you're pre-licensed, because that's what I was going to say, too, because we talked about this with the other therapists hosting the CEs. Make sure that you all are telling therapists that are pre-licensed still come, even though you say it's a CE event, because it's still information they need to learn. Yes. And, and also, even if you're not in Florida, because the CEs are for people yes, that are in Florida. Well, you're not, I think, still good to have. And I spe- there's something I do want to speak to, too. I know we're like talking a lot about this, stuff, but it's my favorite topic. Um, but there's one of those things that, yes, it can be scary. Like if you don't have the training and, you know, you're, it's your first time, it's, anything new can be scary. But I will say for me and my experience, kind of the being able to have the system in the room. Like, like we said earlier, you can do work as an individual. I've done it where it's fine. Like it's, you can, you can see change. Right. But when you have the system in the room, like Dr. TK said earlier, like having the other side of the story, so to speak, and being able to work with the system, work with the two people and allow them to work through the issue that they're having and help them do that. And then see it in my case, see them on the screen, like see their faces change. I'm like, I'm getting emotional, like really seeing like the connection happen and them realize that, that they can do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, y'all can do it. Like, you know, it just need a little bit of coaching and some support in that. In particular, when you talk about people being like hot or cold with couples, in particular in the Black community, because we don't have that many Black couples therapists. So if there's, and that's something I've heard people tell me, and it, I hadn't even thought about it. I told my husband, I'm like, I didn't really think about that. Like, I knew couples were a specialty. I knew Black, you know, Black mental health is, is becoming more of a thing now. But it's still something that we need to work on. But I had not thought about the two. And I was like, whoa, I think. We need more people doing this. Let's let's do a quick free promotion right now. Not that we got something to offer. I'm just going to put this population out there. If you are a black or brown male and you are in therapy or you're around black or brown young men and they are interested in counseling, please let them explore it because we are actually lacking not only people of color, but specifically men of color as being providers. Mm -hmm. And um, specifically those who work with certain specialties like kids, specifically teenagers, because those boys, you know, (laughs) um, girls got a lot of girl therapists. That's all that the grass schools are made of is women, you know, but we're really lacking. I say black and brown because usually we're populated together in terms of like our communities and where we live. Mm -hmm. We are all like a little melting or a big Mm -hmm. melting pot, but I have not, I think I've met, I'm gonna say good, Mm -hmm. one good, like Latino, uh, male therapist, but he worked with me in a jail. And I'm like, if I could just pick you up and take you to my practice, mm-hmm. you will be so fire with those boys and men over there because he's good in the jail. Yes. But a lot of the, some of the men that I've met, you know, some of them work in the community, but I haven't met a couple's one, um, you know? And so I'm glad that you speak to that because what we're also speaking to is lack. And as a therapist, we do have in our ethical you know, conduct that we're supposed to be doing pro bono work. Not to the point where you burn yourself out, but there should be a <laughs> like a certain amount of hours that you do want to dedicate to even just awareness mm-hmm. in your community. And awareness don't have to make people aware of just filling your pockets. Like, let me be clear, okay? Awareness should also be about speaking to and pouring into communities that don't even know that they're a hot commodity. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I told high school kids when I teach them psychology, like for a college course, 
is I'll go around the room and I'll say, who in here? I'll say, everybody raise their hand. And all the kids are raising hand. I'm like, keep raising your hand if you are a male. And like 95% of the class, like <laughs> drop their hands. And then I'm like, keep your hand raised if you're bilingual Ooh, or more, you know, yeah. and like two or three boys. And then I walk up to them close and I don't, you know, touch them or anything, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm special. And they're like, why are you picking on me? And I'm like, no, I'm gonna give you a title today. Go tell your parents or your guardian, you're a hot commodity. And they're like, what is that? And I'll tell them like, any field that you go into, yeah. you're going to be lacking, meaning they need you. So you'd be best to finish what you started in this high school class. I don't care if you're going to be a surgeon because the world needs you. And a lot of them were brown mm-hmm. boys like in that particular high school. But I'm like, you bilingual, you a male, and you about to go into the medical field. Do you understand you could just use that to get a job or do whatever you're going to do? You know? So let me ask um, so that people will know. I know we have your Instagram handle on the bottom. Um, so definitely people go over there, show her some love, let her know, get in her DM and let her know that you enjoyed this episode. Yeah. But how can they find about that CE workshop? Because it is coming up like Monday. Yes, it's coming up Monday. Um, so yeah, so my Instagram handle, really, that's where it is. So I've been posting about it and the link is in the post that I put on there as well. Um, I would, yeah, I would say it's probably the way to find it because I'm not on my website yet. So definitely check out my Instagram, like it, you know, tell me about, of course, about today. Um, the link to register is on there as well. So you can click it, um, and go ahead and register for Monday. Again, I think it's something that's going to be fun, exciting. I'm going to share the information where anybody can go to who's a therapist who just wants to know about it. So don't feel like because you're scared of couples or you're not sure that this is not for you because it's definitely information that you want to have in your back pocket in case you have, you know, people who are having these issues. So you're not like you know, trying to figure it out later, you know, kind of thing. So I would love to have you all there. Yeah. So we'll make sure everybody to we'll make sure to link up all her information in the uh, YouTube and Facebook stream, but also of course on uh, the podcast. So Melissa from the bottom of my heart, you know, DCA alumni, I've enjoyed you here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay on for a second to make some brief announcements to our community. And then we're going to wrap up this episode, y'all. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yes. All the time. All right, everybody. So let me know in the comment box, did you enjoy that conversation? I know that we have talked about a lot. (laughs) We talked about uh, the mental health field, the lack in the mental health field, couples, how to do a couple's intake and a whole lot of other stuff. And then of course, you definitely want to follow with Melissa on Instagram in the link in her bio so that you can find out about that workshop for therapists um, of working with couples. So before we wrap up, I do want to make some important announcements You know, I do, I have some stuff scrolling on the bottom of the screen. So if you want to know about the upcoming, um, I'm going to say workshops, we just wrapped up the boot camp. But if you want to find out how to get like the business affirmations, then you want to go to drtk.com forward slash links. Okay, drtk.com forward slash links. Let me put that back on the screen. And on there, what you're going to find is information about the, well, actually, we right now have the replays of the boot camp. Depending on where you hear this audio podcast, they may be not available anymore. Those come down on Sunday. The Therapists Deserve Abundance Conference tickets are on sale. We will be meeting in Los Angeles at the end of August. That's for pre and licensed therapists, that's for men and women mental health professionals. We will be 
talking about how to become the best version of you. We have some dope speakers. We're definitely going to be talking about wealth, money, mindset, how to move in your business in 2022, moving beyond, how to develop streams of income with mindset and strategy. But of course, more importantly, we're going to talk about integration and how you're going to no longer have to choose between the or or the either model, but we're going to focus on integrating your business and your lifestyle together, okay? So if you want to find out about those things and other resources, um, make sure that you go to drtk.com forward slash links. Um, This is the direct link if you just want to go ahead and grab your ticket. We are at a 55% capacity right now for the conference, so tickets are going. And so um, again, that is at the end of August. Now, if you are watching on YouTube, I would ask you for a large favor. If you could just let me know that you've enjoyed this episode by simply on a scale of one to 10, putting it in the comment box or on Facebook, how did you enjoy this episode today that was streaming live? Um, Can you please also hit the subscribe button so that our community can grow and we can let other therapists know that conversations like this exist? So from the bottom of my heart, if you're tuning in online or on podcasts, I have enjoyed you today. Make sure that you stay tuned for future interviews with other clinicians and also just epic content that I will continue to drip out throughout every single week. Thank you so much and have a blessed weekend. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I am super excited to see your growth in your business, career, money, and relationships. Be sure to check me out on Instagram at Dr. TK Psych, where you can find daily inspiration and tips to live your abundant lifestyle.